Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. A few weeks ago, the Lord just kind of put this phrase uh, on my heart, and, and I've been chewing on it for three or four weeks. Uh, I, I brought it to a, a, a focus point, uh, uh, one little meeting I was in. I forget what it was. And then I, I brought it uh, to our attention last Sunday night, or no, the Sunday night before last Sunday night, I wasn't here, uh, when we had our community prayer and worship gathering. And that was the idea of uh, we should be heroes. So I'm going to talk about that this morning, but I, I kind of want to uh, lay down a perspective of where this is coming from. Uh, and that is simply the reality of ministry is, is changing. So ministry as we have known it, uh, specifically here in the United States of America, let's say a contemporary-based ministry slash church that we've that we've come to experience in the last 40, 50 years because there was a change in ministry, uh, give or take around that time, uh, is changing. It's changing as we know it. Uh, about a decade ago, we as a society entered into a position known as postmodernism. Uh, maybe a little bit more than a decade ago, uh, actually two decades ago, I was moving to Hawaii to start a church round about this transition in our society and within the church. And so for the past 20 years, our society has transitioned from a modern society to a postmodern society. And without getting into the nuts and bolts of that, one of the aspects of that is people's dependency, people's respect, people's uh, idea of need for the church, has like has shifted completely uh, a modern in our uh, what used to be our modern society there was a dependency upon the church a dependency upon church leaders uh, there was a dependency dependency upon you know ministry television and so forth and once we begin to enter into a postmodern society there began to be a lack of dependency upon the church this occurred in Europe uh, quite a few years, even decades before it hit America. But it hit America, and 20 years later, you are really recognizing change. Uh, we don't have people that focuses on the church like they used to. People don't depend upon the church. People don't even think church is really relevant and really is important. So because this uh, is occurring... Uh, what we have is the church now, because it's lost this influential position in certain aspects of our society, church has also lost its impact and its effectiveness in certain aspects of our society. Now, you can travel throughout our, throughout our country and you will come across clusters of communities that is very church-heavy, very church-dependent. Uh, some of these clusters we call the Bible Belt. But you can go to a really majority of our uh, communities in our nation and you will come across a postmodern mindset to where the church is important for some, but it's not important for the majority. But what we have to realize is just because this is happening, 
it doesn't mean that the church is insignificant. It doesn't mean that the church is not called. It doesn't mean that the church is not important. It doesn't mean that God is, is doing away with church. And it doesn't mean that we as followers of Christ should neglect church and still not be a part. Because church definitely is a way, not the way, but is a way that God still wants to bring his word, his ways, his power, and so forth to the world today. But it's not the only way. Can you say only way? So there is a different way. And what you see with God is whenever the land shifts uh, socially, culturally, God doesn't stay put in a specific box uh, concerning the way he does things. Now, we do know God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, Morally speaking, God does not change. But what God does do differently is he flows differently according to the needs of the culture and according to what would benefit or what would be most effective in a culture for his kingdom to come his kingdom to arrive, and his kingdom to change lives. When you really study out God moving throughout the Bible, you will see a shift in how God moved in the land according to the changes of the land. So we as a nation, we've had a major change over the last couple decades, and I will even say over the last three years, there has been a drastic change in our society. And so knowing that God in his uh, moral standards and biblical law doesn't change, what we do have to recognize is that in order to save the lost, in order to impact our communities, and in order for his kingdom to come down as his will be done, the way he flows and the way he moves does change. And one of the changes that is occurring is God moving in a very personal and individual way. Prior to the, most, to the uh, postmodern movement, what you see is God dominantly moving in the confines of what we call church. You had healing revivals. You had prophetic revivals. You had laughing revivals. You had all these moves of God, specifically since uh, the, the, the beginning of the 1900s to where God just moved corporately. And it's not that God didn't move personally or individually. I'm a testament to that, even in my family. But all the highlights and all, all the emphasis and the focus and what you really seen God doing in a massive way was within what we call the confines of the church. But over the past 50 plus years, The church had this major influence in the land. Life was built around the church. Culture was built around the church. People's schedules was built around the church. I remember as a kid in Mississippi that uh, there was only one store or one establishment opened in the mall on Sundays, and that was a place called Morrison's Cafe. And it was one of the places we would go to eat Sunday lunch 
But this was kind of like on the edge. It was a part of the mall, but on the edge of the mall. And I remember these like 10 to 15 foot steel, like, I don't know what you call them, dividers, where uh, you was not allowed to go into the mall. It was closed on Sunday. Why? Because Sunday was thought to be a Sabbath day, and that's when people rested and went to church, arrested and worshiped God. I mean, the only business, you, you might can correct me later on, but the only business like I know of right now, commercially, big kind of box company, is Chick-fil-A that purposely don't open uh, on Sunday. Lorana's mouth and something, you can tell me later. Uh, so what we have is the church just doesn't have the influence, the effectiveness, and the impact in society that it once did. But that doesn't mean that God is still not calling his people to impact society. Just because one source loses influence doesn't mean God is finished. What it means is God, God raises up another source to function in another way to continue the same impact and maybe even more than what was previously available. Am I making sense so far? So we come into this message with that perspective. Church is not what it used to be. It doesn't mean God is not moving. But where we do see God moving is in a very personal and individual way. And that's where you and I, on a very personal plane or individual plane, come into God's will for his power to still move in our land. So can you look at somebody and say, you should be a hero. Heroes in our culture uh, is a big thing. Uh, you see it on movies, books, the internet, I mean, heroes is a big thing, whether it be, you know, your super, your super, superheroes have a little picture of the Justice League here, uh, or whether it be local heroes, police officers, law enforcement, doctors, uh, firemen, uh, rescue workers, list goes on. Heroes is a big aspect of our society. We look up to heroes. We gravitate toward heroes. We secretly want to be heroes. But what is so special about heroes? In a very simple uh, version, they help and impact people's life in a positive and major way. See, when you look at the movies that has heroes in it, you you see that heroes are people's, people with special abilities or maybe special resources. Superman had special abilities. He could shoot laser from his eyes. He could see through a building. The man could fly. Like, who wouldn't want to fly? Look at Batman. He didn't really have any superhero abilities, but he had some amazing resources. Like a stinking billionaire, and he could have all these cool things built. Like, who would love to have a Batmobile? Oh, I'd love to have a Batmobile. 
So my point is this, is that heroes are people with special abilities or special resources. But oftentimes, the hero seems unattainable by the perspective of the average person. Like, we look at heroes and we, we glory in, in what they do. We embrace what they do. We're excited about what they do. But heroes are for heroes. And I'm not one, so therefore, I cannot be so heroic. But for you and I as sons and daughters... That really is not a reality. As sons and daughters, we have access to the power of God. As sons and daughters, in us is a supernatural power that can enable us to impact people's life in such a powerful and life-altering way. See, when you really look at what heroes do, you see quite a few things. Number one, you see that they serve. You see that they sacrifice. We realize that they help uh, people. They take risk, not for the thrill of it, but for the benefit and the assistance of others. And we even see that sometimes they're willing to die for a just cause. Or for humanity. And when you really look at the Bible, at how God has called different people, or even how God has called us, what you really see is God calling people to be heroes. In other words, you see that God is calling people to serve. You see that God is calling people to sacrifice on on behalf of humanity. You see that God is called people to help and assist one another. You see how God has called people to take risk on behalf of the people or the person they're called to. You see how God calls people to even put them in a position of possible death for the sake of being a hero for another person. You see this all through the Bible. And when you really study ministry history, you see this through men and women of God that God has called out. Men and women of God, just like you and I, average Joe and James, that God has called out, rose up to be a hero to a person or to a people. Now in the Bible, there is one person I really want us to kind of put a magnifying glass on, and it's an unlikely hero, and it's an overlooked hero. And this is the heroine, Abigail. Abigail in the Bible was a hero for her household. She was a hero for her husband, but her husband was so stupid that he ended up uh, being cursed by God and dying. But she was the epitome of a hero. So today I want to kind of at first paraphrase a little bit of the story to you. I'm going to read it to you, then we're going to talk about it. So the paraphrase of it is, 
David was protecting Abigail's husbands, uh, sheep and workers. His name was Nabal. Nabal was a very wealthy man. He had thousands of sheep. And there, they was in, in this time of, of a festival to where his men and his sheep could have been raided by enemies. But David and his 600 mighty men was protecting the area, keeping the sheep and people and flocks safe from raiders, safe from enemies. And it just so happened that some of the people and the flocks that David was protecting was Abigail's husband's flocks and his workers. And David and his men became hungry, and David sent a message to Nabal that, hey, we have watched your flocks. We have safeguarded your workers. You have not lost anything under our protection. Can you please give us food? What you have available, can you please send back to my men through my messenger food? Well, the Bible says that Nabal was a stupid man. It says he was foolish and bad. And Nabal was highly offended by this, even though that David kept his flock safe and kept his workers safe. And Nabal disrespected David in a big way. Well, when this word got back to David, it aroused David. He became extremely angry. And his first response to his men was, put on your swords, we're going to go and kill this man in his household. It pushed one of David's buttons, needless to say. And so what happened is a servant heard this and went to Abigail, Nabal's husband, telling her, Nabal disrespected and committed an evil act against David. Now David and his mighty men is coming to destroy our household. And this enters into the biblical portion of, of, of the message. It's in verse or 1 Samuel chapter 25, if you want to read it in, in, in totality. I'm going to be skipping around a bit. It says, Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful. Let me just give you a little extra information right here. This is the only Hebrew woman in the Bible that carried two identities, the identity of wisdom and the identity of beauty. You will come across women who were discerning or wise, and you will come across women who were beautiful. But you will not come across women in, in Scripture that carried both identities. I find that to be very interesting. So this version of the Bible, I'm reading you the uh, English Standard Version, says discerning and beautiful. Uh, if you jump into other ones, you will come across wise and attractive. It says, but the man, her husband, was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. Then Abigail made haste. In any way, she, she, you know, she hurried up. And took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five says of parched grain and a hundred clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and laid them on the donkeys. She was sending them to David. 
And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone. Now, this is really important. On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. She took the guilt and was willing to take the judgment on behalf of her husband. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow, Nabal. I love how she's uh, referring to her husband. It's a worthless fellow. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of the Lord whom you sent. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be as Nabal. And now let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant. She's taken on the guilt of her husband. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord and evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. That was actually a prophetic utterance for David's future. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you, who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For surely, or for as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, this is another important point, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me. Truly by morning there had not been peace in your house. In other words, I was coming to destroy your house. See, I have obeyed your voice and I have granted your petition. Why would we consider Abigail to be a hero? Let's look at four specific reasons. Number one, she had a sacrificial heart. All true heroes have sacrificial hearts. I think I got my notes a little backwards. Uh, yeah, so I'll be kind of going back to pure in a second. She had a sacrificial heart. She took all this, uh, all these possessions, all this food, and she was coming to give to David five sheep, 100 clusters of grapes, five cakes of figs, says of seed. All this stuff that was already prepared, it was already ready to eat. She came and she brought it to David. All heroes have a heart of sacrifice. All heroes is willing to sacrifice maybe their resources. This was resources. Willing to sacrifice their time. She took time away, even willing to sacrifice themselves for the benefit 
the blessing, the effectiveness, and the impact of who or whomever they are called to. This woman had a sacrificial heart. She was willing to give of the resources and give of her time and give of herself simply to save her household. Not only her household. Now, I, I, I love this, and I really respect this woman for this. She was also willing to make sacrifices to save a fool. Her husband was an idiot. I'm like, he was dumb. He disrespected David, a mighty warrior. He could care less. He was full of himself. Even his own wife said he was stupid. But Abigail, in spite of his stupidity, in spite of his ignorance, was willing to become a hero for a fool's sake and for her family's sake. Sometimes God calls us to be heroes to stupid people. Don't look at, don't, don't look at anybody right now. Sometimes God calls us to do things for people, and in your mind you're believing, they, what, her, him? They deserve what they get. They don't belong here. Come, come on, God, you're not going to send me to that joker. Sometimes. Because a fool is loved just like a wise person is loved. And a fool needs a chance to become wise, just like the wise person was given a chance to become wise when they were fools. Because all wise people at one point were fools. And what changed their life from being a life of foolishness to wise or wisdom is they actually made the choice to embrace wisdom as opposed to foolishness. And God is always about giving the fool a chance to become wise. Now, we, we need to look at that, look at that in two different ways. Let's just look in the mirror, mirror, and let's ask ourselves a question. Is God trying to speak to the fool in me to make me wise? So that my life can be saved. Think about it. That's a little extra. Or is God sending me to a fool that I may not want to go to. But it's a person that God loves. And needs an opportunity to make their ways wise. Another thing is she had a pure heart. She didn't have a judgmental heart. She didn't have a condemning heart. She had a pure heart. Heroes have pure hearts. They don't do what they do for glory. They don't do what they do for themselves. They do what they do because of a love for humanity or because they have a pure heart to make a change in people's lives. Let me throw something at you. 
one of the reasons the church has lost its effectiveness and influence in our society is they lost the heroic heart of doing things in purity. And so oftentimes, churches do things with the idea or for the gain of glory. We want to put on an event to get a lot of people so we can revel in that glory. We want our seats filled so we can say, I lead, I pastor, or I work in a church that has such and such hundred or such and such thousands of people. We want the power to flow so we can stand self-righteously and say, God, use me today. And what has occurred is we've lost the purity of a heroic action. And when we carry out actions that is not pure, we lose the influence and we lose the effectiveness because true power from God comes from a true pure heart. Amen? Another one. Two more is she was selfless. She was willing to risk her life for her people and for her foolish husband. So number one, she did all this without telling Nabal. She did not know how this was going to end up. But she did know this could end bad. She also did not know how David would respond to her. One of the key points in there is that I said, pay attention to, is when David said, made the, made the statement about who has restrained me from hurting you. So you see in David's heart, he was going to do damage. He didn't care who it was, this household was going to die. And she took that risk See, being selfless makes you have a risky heart. Not just for the sake of being risky, but for the sake of putting your own condition, your own life, your own self on the line for the benefit of other people. She had a risky heart. She was willing to risk herself, whether it be by the hands of Nabal or by the hands of David. She was willing to put herself on the line for the blessing, the benefit, and the salvation of her family, of her household. Where is our heart today? Are we willing to take risk Are we willing to put our life on the line, our reputation on the line, our social media following on the line to stand up or to stand with people who are being fought against, people who is possibly going to die, people who is lost and needs a hero to stand up and say, I will risk it all for you. She had a risky heart. And again, it made her have a heart of a hero. And the last one is she humbled herself. We read that she bowed down before David. She took on 
the sin of her husband. She could have played the blame game. She could have stood erect. She could have acted like she was something special. I'm the wife of one of the most wealthiest men. But no. She humbled who she was. She humbled what she had. So that she might receive the blessing and the effectiveness from David. You know, Jesus humbled himself to save us. And so oftentimes, to be one of God's heroes, we have to be willing to humble ourselves to save whoever he sends us to. See, godly heroes have sacrificial hearts. Godly heroes have pure hearts. Godly heroes is willing to risk on behalf of the people they're sent to. And godly heroes is willing to humble themselves. Her acts literally saved and impacted her household. But what's really cool is her acts not only saved herself, I mean, excuse me, not only saved her own house or herself, but her acts blessed her. When she went, and, and you see that this was a righteous woman that was just and followed the ways of the law, she actually went back and went to her husband and told him everything she did. The Bible says that he came, became like stone. And then the Bible says 10 days later that God struck him down dead. But David caught wind of this. And what did David do? David recognized, hey, there is a single, beautiful, and wise woman that is up for the takings. And the Bible says that David went and married her. This was a blessing for this woman. She was removed from a foolish household into the establishment of one of God's greatest kings. See, heroes, even though, even though they sacrifice, even though we might take risk, and even though we might humble ourselves as children of God, God still makes sure we're blessed. Yes, we might have to sacrificially give. Yes, we might lose things. And yes, choosing and allowing God to use us in this type of way or status sometimes is hard and difficult. But God always moves on our behalf and is always willing to bless his heroes in ways that we couldn't bless ourselves. What can we learn from her? A sacrificial heart causes us to give what is needed. A pure heart creates in us a willingness to respond when needed. A selfless heart will cause us to risk. 
standing up and fighting for people in need. And a humble heart will cause us to be selfless, selfless and not selfish. The world needs more Abigails. The world needs more heroes like Abigail. And God is calling his children, male and female, young and old, to be like Abigail in this world. Because there's people in our household that needs heroic choices. And there's people that actually the Bible labels fools that needs us to carry out heroic choices. Going back to what I started with, God is moving in a very personal and individual way more than he ever has. In other words, God is doing wonders through people like you in the world just simply because they choose to be one of God's heroes. Healing, signs and wonders, deliverances, salvations, restored marriages, restored families is occurring in the land. We may not hear about it on a large or wide scale, but it's not because God ain't doing it. It's because God is doing it in a very personal and individual way. And God will continue to work in a personal and in an individual way as long as God has people like you and I that is willing to be his heroes in a land that needs heroes. So you have to ask yourself, am I willing to sacrifice? Am I willing to maintain a pure heart? Am I willing to take risk for humanity? And am I willing to humble myself before the Lord and say, not my will, but your will be done. Let's stop expecting for everything to happen in the church. Because not enough is happening in the church. But let's realize and come to the reality that God not only uses the church organization, but God also uses every member of the church, the body, you and I, to be heroic servants of God. And make changes in lives that will impact, effect, and ultimately lead them to heaven. You're called to be a hero. You're called to be a hero. What's your purpose? You're called to be a hero. Everybody asks that. Uh, excuse me, not everybody, but a lot of people wonder that and ask that. What's, what's my purpose? What does God want me to do? 
Just look at the opportunity that God has given you to do and be a hero. Recognize the unique desires of your heart to make changes in people's lives or a person's life and be a hero. I exaggerated the need of the big things, signs, wonders, healing. But, you know, you can be a hero by simply going to your neighbor and giving them your ear when they need an ear to speak to. You can be a hero by recognizing the hunger needs of a family and going buying groceries and delivering, delivering it to them without any needs attached. You can be a hero by recognizing an outcast and put your reputation on the line by befriending that outcast and telling them that you love them, that you're here for them, and you're willing to stand up with them and for them. There's a lot of ways to be a hero. And if we really have a heart to be one of God's heroes, God will make a way for you to change somebody's life. It might be something that just happens one time in a moment. Or it might be a person that God causes you to consistently go to on a regular basis because they are in a process and they need you to be a part of their process. Don't think you're too old because you're not. Don't think you're not educated or learned enough because you're not. Don't think you got to be so righteous because you don't. Don't think you got to have your life together because you never will. Don't think you got to be special. None of us are special. God is not a respecter of people. God just needs a sacrificial heart, a pure heart, a risky heart, and a humble heart. And if you're willing to do that, then you meet the guidelines to be a hero. And God will use you. And it will make your life better. And it will make the world better. Amen? Stand to your feet if you would, please. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.